couple of quick things to get off our plate as we welcome you to another episode of the OHL podcast. Dan Mahar over there. My name is Mike Farwell. The couple of things. First of all, uh, thank you to my good friend, Terry Doyle, who has forgotten more about the Ontario Hockey League than I will ever know. Terry, of course, a longtime voice of the Sarnia Sting. Before that, up in Peterborough, been involved in television broadcasts and OHL, the radio edition, every week that you will hear Terry a part of. He corrected me, and rightly so, on the what I said last week about the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. I'm sorry, Sue. Yes, the Greyhounds did go to three consecutive Memorial Cups, but they did not win three consecutive OHL titles. They won back-to-back in 91 and 92. Then in 93, they lost the OHL final to Peterborough, the same team that they then beat in the Memorial Cup final, also the team that the Sioux beat in the so-called Super Series back then to earn the right to host the Memorial Cup in 93. Can you keep up with all of that? The Super Series was a goofy thing. Anyway, that's what happened. They did go to three straight Memorial Cups, but they did not win back-to-back-to-back OHL championships, as I had said. Thanks to Terry for the clarification. And remember, you can send us an email anytime as well, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. The only other thing I wanted to say echoes exactly what I said when we started our episode last week, and that was a little bit of advice, pro tip for anybody starting a podcast like this. Look for a team like the Niagara Ice Dogs to cover because they will always be the gift that keeps on giving content. And yes, we'll get to that later in this episode. Oh, Dan is here. He's laughing at me and he's wearing an ugly shirt. If you're not wearing or if you're not watching on YouTube, it's got some logo on it that I can't even bring myself to say, but it is the worst possible NHL team in the history of NHL teams. Well, you apparently forgot as much about the NHL as you did about the OHL because <laughs> this team right here has some has some history. Well, I'm just yeah. trying to enlighten you, Farwell, so you might make better life choices. How long has it been? Like, I recognize that the team that I cheer for, the Toronto Maple Leafs, has never won a Stanley Cup in my lifetime. Okay, so yes, 56 years and counting for the Leafs. But how long has it been for that team that you cheer for? I just know that the last Canadian team to win it, I have to go back and look at the actual, no, it's it's 1993. So I will, I'll grant you it has been a while. It has been a while and there are a lot of teams now. So it's probably not going to be very realistic that they're winning one anytime soon but uh but yeah at least i i I did see one in my in my high school days so that's that's good i suppose the high school days were the worst days for me because the leafs were just such a bad team in the 80s and all of my friends who cheered for that team whose shirt you're wearing anyway i won't get into it too much but good on you for admitting that it might be a while even for that storied franchise from Montreal. I remember having this conversation probably a decade ago with another fan of that same team. And I said that to him. I said, listen, I get it. And you've got every right to pick on my favorite team. But what do you think the prospects are for your team? At the time, it had been 20, maybe 25 years. And I'm like, look at the league today. Look at how spread out the talent is, the parity that's there, the number of teams that you're competing against, et cetera, et cetera. And here we are three decades plus and that's a long time between championships for that team well i know there's a lot more ways to screw it up than there are to actually succeed so uh that just means the odds are not in anyone's corner so and i recognize the montreal's got some optimism down the road with all the the kids they're acquiring right now but whether or not that translates into a cup who knows and if it is it's not going to be in the next several years so 
Got to be realistic if you're going to survive in this game, Varwell. All right. We can't help ourselves getting into stuff like this, but this is the OHL podcast, not the NHL podcast. And one of the things we wanted to talk about on this episode of the OHL podcast is the Brantford Bulldogs. And it seems to me, Dan, the early returns suggest that Brantford may well be a viable market beyond this quote unquote temporary situation the Bulldogs find themselves in. Yeah, like we, we're seeing a, a great trend in ticket sales in, in Brantford so far. And we kind of knew that with the early reports of what their season ticket sales looked like when they first announced those. And yeah, it's really encouraging to me to, to look at their website and see only singles and sparse tickets available for, for some of the rivalry games. Uh, Brantford, where it's situated, obviously, is e- easy travel for a number of the other markets. So their fan bases are probably enthused about that. You imagine a number of Knights fans will get there and obviously a number of Rangers fans, hopefully Guelph, Niagara, once they uh, figure out which guys are playing for them that night. I mean, you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of options nearby. So it's really encouraging. And I think the the Brantford fans were challenged to put their money where their mouths were when they, they had this opportunity and they sure did. A comparable, I think might be, the now North Bay Battalion, who of course used to be the Brampton Battalion. And when they moved back to bring a team to North Bay, obviously formerly the Centennials, but the first three years, which is what the season ticket packages were sold for, uh, brought a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of optimism. But after that three-year window, and, and the team was pretty successful on the ice too, but things started to drop off. I'm not trying to to knock anybody, North Bay or Brantford, but We'll see what happens after the team settles in for a little bit. But the other thing that's really important here, in my opinion, is that this is not the same city that the OHL left some four decades ago, back in the 1980s, when the Alexanders were a team, right? The casino, first and foremost, is an obvious piece of the economic engine in Brantford. But I also remember speaking to the mayor of the Telephone City when this temporary relocation was announced and he made it very clear he pulled no punches in saying that we want to show that we are an ohl market i as the mayor want to bring the ohl back to brantford and for some of the points you just mentioned dan and because i get a little nostalgic i absolutely love the idea of seeing brantford back in the league even if even if that costs hamilton the franchise nothing against the city and its people I know a lot of people are so proud to be Hamiltonians and rightly so, but how many times does the OHL have to go there and fail before you just say enough is enough. Let's get it, get it to a market or give it to a market. Pardon me. That will really appreciate it. Well, this comes up time and again, when we talk about franchises in any league potentially moving is to the fan bases, don't blow it. I'm not saying this was obviously on the Hamilton fans by any stretch, but just in general, don't blow it because if your team moves away, you might not ever get them back or it might be a really long time. And I think the Brantford fans are really aware of that because they're coming out in droves. And when you, you, you talked about the same city, it was when they lost the Alexanders and North Bay, uh, anyone who's driven around Brantford in the last couple of years, especially on the West side, look at the development there. There's just this influx of people to that city. Like there are in a lot of Ontario centers and not even just Brantford, Mike, we talk about Brant County and beyond you look at, Places like Paris, Ontario, just a, a short jaunt from the arena, huge growth there. So it's a, it's it's a market that seems to me to be willing to embrace hockey again and much different than it was in, in when the Alexanders were there, like you said. So uh, the early returns are certainly positive. 
and Paris, of course, has the Mounties and the Junior C Loop. But what the other thing that stands out to me with Brantford is it to me is a right sized major junior hockey market, right? Again, I love the Ontario Hockey League, but I'm under no illusions about where its appeal lies. And Hamilton is a really big city, a really big city center with a little bit of a Toronto complex. And junior hockey tends to work better in those slightly smaller centers. Look at Ottawa now, and I know we could talk on and on, great history and tradition, but so with the 67s, of course, but so much else going on in the market in a day and age where everything is so competitive you're competing with in ottawa for example the national hockey league the canadian football league a bunch of other things it's tougher and tougher to find that niche whereas in brantford i just think it's the right size market and maybe hamilton is just too big for the ohl right now and has other ideas they've got the tie cats which they're very proud of and understandably so yeah you're right and and hamilton is a city that has a brand, a tough, hardworking, steel town brand, and they they really have latched onto the Ticats for that reason. I I don't want to dismiss the the role that brand plays in these markets. And identity, I guess, is a better term. When you look at junior hockey markets, a lot of cities in Ontario, the junior team's part of their identity. Think Sudbury, you think the Wolves, think Peterborough, think the Peets, and they have this strong identity built up over time. And I would love to see Brantford do that. I don't know that Hamilton's had that opportunity. You know, they had the the Dukes came in and left the Bulldogs a couple iterations, the AHL version they've had the rug pulled out from under them in a, a number of different ways over the years. So I'm not really sure they've built that strong identity with their hockey team. And that, that does hurt a market. So let's, let's give Brantford hopefully some time to build that. It leads me to ask the inevitable question here, and I won't beat the Cornwall drum too much. Anybody who's listened to this podcast for more than a minute knows I'm a big fan of the bring back the Royals campaign. I would love to see a team back in Cornwall. And by the way, I'll just add in quite happy to have a former coach from the Cornwall Royals joining me on Kitchener Rangers broadcasts on City News 570 this year. Shameless plug. I heard a lot, though, last season about Chatham. Some people saying it's a done deal that a U.S. based in Michigan, Flint, was going to be relocating to Chatham because there are plans already underway for a new arena there. Uh, those rumors have kind of died down, but Chatham is another market that makes a little bit of sense to me. And so I'm wondering two things, Dan, are there other opportunities for the OHL to find a home? And if it's not a relocation, as in the rumors that were out last year about Flint, would this league ever go beyond its current 20 teams? Well, I think it's it's an interesting process, Mike, because as we know from the league's point of view, it's never as simple as just, yeah, let's give them a team and see how it works out. I'd like to think the league and various leagues over time have learned a little thing about setting markets up for success. So when you're talking about, you know, you, you mentioned the Royals uh, sadly leaving Cornwall, the Belleville lost the Bulls. You can go on down the list of all these teams that have moved. And, and there's reasons in every case but you'd like to think before we talk about Chatham or going back to Cornwall or, or Brantford, like we're seeing right now, that the league has a few ideas now about how to set a market up for success. So you talk about the new rank, you talk about corporate sponsors and lining a lot of these things up, which the Brantford community has done ahead of time. And I'd like to see that in place before we, we throw a franchise out of Chatham or Cornwall, just because the worst thing that could possibly happen is you put it there too soon or without doing due diligence 
that doesn't work out and then forevermore that market's written off. So just do it right. That's all I ask. But I can certainly see a window, Mike, or a pathway where you could you could have those as viable markets, maybe over 20. Yeah, and I, I wonder about that. One of the complaints you'll often hear about the Ontario Hockey League is that fans tend to get a little tired as the season wears on of seeing the same teams over and over. We could fix that at least temporarily or to a degree, I guess, if we changed the schedule. I would love to see three games per season played against the other conference. And in one year, you know, one team travels twice the next year, the other team does the twice travel crossing from East to West and vice versa. Uh, I think there's room for that. And then reducing the number of games you play within your division and within your own conference, just to cut down on that repetition. But that's a, that would be a minor tweak. I, I would worry a little bit about the overall health of the league. How many, again, understanding what the league really is and how much money is there to support it. What's the saturation factor for teams in the league? I think 20 feels like a right-sized number, but maybe that's just because it's been at 20 for as long as it has. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's, you hit on a lot of them. There's a lot of factors to consider. You have to look like the saturation point about talent. How much talent is there? And, and there's there's two arguments uh, there as well. A lot of people say, well, Ontario is expanding by three hundred thousand people in the next ten years. And, you know, all these numbers. You say, well, that's got to help the, the talent base. But are they hockey players? What are enrollment levels like in these hockey organizations, etc., etc., etc.? There's competition for our players now, so if you are staying at home in Ontario playing, so uh, the last thing you'd want to do is make the league a watered down league where the the caliber isn't quite what it was. I'm not saying that's what would happen, but you just start to see the considerations adding up, Mike. And uh, it's a very interesting thing, but it requires due diligence like everything. I'm going to put out the other inevitable talking point on this, and I, I'm going to try to put it to bed early. We're in our preseason here of the OHL podcast, and this is something that often comes up. And quite frankly, over the years, I've been beating on the drum, but I think I'm ready to put my drumstick down in this case. Look, Brantford's not all that far from Hamilton, but either way, when you see a team relocating, it makes you wonder, and you made the point before about the geographic proximity to a number of other markets that might be inclined to go see a game in the place where Wayne Gretzky was born. Let's not forget minority owner of the Niagara ice dogs, but does this bring up the realignment question for some people? It inevitably will because people like to talk about that and, and maybe it does, but I think where I've landed on this, as much as I've been a proponent in the past of finding a way to create a Northern division, realigning teams in southwestern Ontario so that maybe Mississauga and Kitchener, for example, end up in the same division because they're so close to one another and this, that, and the other thing. I don't think there's going to be, with the 20 teams that are currently in the OHL, a perfect solution. So this, what we have today, might be the best of the imperfect alignments of the league. So I'm going to say, and try to put it to bed early, Let's not tinker with it. Let's just leave everybody where they are. That's interesting. I didn't, didn't think you were going to go there. We might have more to say on that later because I, I can, again, see arguments on both sides. But you're right. Perfection should never really be the goal because you're not going to find it. What, you, what you're trying to do is improvement. And that requires a lot more considerations than, than the average fan usually thinks of because there is a, a lot of clout giving, given to 
sort of legacy and grandfather clauses in this league. So those that have been established um, certain like home nights, those types of things that comes into play when they're making these decisions. So it's not always as simple as just saying, okay, you, you're moving over here, you're moving over there. And, uh, but you are trying to ever improve the process, I guess. If you could wave a magic wand, would you realign the league in some way? I would, I, I would, I, I just think the ones that are that make the most sense, like for instance, having Niagara and now Brantford slash Hamilton in the East, um, having uh, there's a few alignment issues I think you could say with with the current setup that that don't make a ton of sense. That might make a little more sense to to shift a few teams around. But like you said, no one's going to be not. You're never going to find everyone happy with it. So any suggestion you make is going to rile up someone. But I do think there's probably a slightly better alignment than they currently have. If you've got ideas, you're always welcome to share them. OHL podcast at rogers.com. We'll share your realignment vision on a future episode. Okay, let's get on to something else that you brought forward, Dan, after watching a preseason game. And I'll just put it this way. You don't like what happens in a scrum. Yeah, so I, I I realize that this is probably going to generate some some flack. I know some people are going to hear hear me advocate for added video review here and say, "Is this guy nuts?" But just hear me out for a second. So I think we've all seen these scrums. I'm not just talking your average garden variety, few shoves and pushes, break it up, boys. I'm talking the ones where there's some there's some steam in there. There's some added uh, hate and anger. It drags on, and there's some there's some cheap shots that you see here and there. So my, my point just being this is whenever these things tend to unfold, it's very hard for the officials to come out of that with the, the right calls because they can't possibly see everything that transpired. What started this? What precipitated that? Who did this when you weren't looking? So all I'm suggesting is that uh, for these scrums, what tends to happen is the refs take it away and they confer for an exorbitant amount of time, five, six minutes over by the trying to figure out, get everyone's opinions, talk to the linesman, figure out what happened and then make a call. I'm just saying you have, you have the video review capabilities. Wouldn't it be better just to bring out the iPad for 30 seconds there and watch it and say, Oh, I didn't see that. Or I saw that there's an extra shot there. Just get it right and go. Uh, You have that capability. And that would, in my mind, take away a lot of the nonsense you do see the the little cheap shots where the ref's not looking he may not be looking now but he's gonna be looking in a minute when he's over at the penalty box so i'm just saying i don't see it as something that would actually delay the game any further when you look how long those discussions take at the box why not get it right take away some of that uh that insidious stuff i guess i'll call it mike okay so i'll preface my response by saying i think you make a terrific i hadn't even thought about the time spent conferring over at the timekeeper's bench by the officials on the ice. So while that is an excellent point, you're nuts because the last thing I want is more video review in the game. I think there's already too much. And that was my knee jerk response to this. My other response to this will be, and I might catch some flack for this. So remember OHL podcast at rogers.com, bring it on at Dan Mahar on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Let's go but I'm going to put my knuckles on the ground and start dragging them. The problem here is that we have removed the threat of getting punched in the face from the game. I'm sorry, but Paul Stewart comes to mind and anybody who's paid any attention to hockey over the years will remember Paul Stewart as one of the national hockey league referees. And he was widely regarded as that guy that 
players really loved to play a game with him officiating because he let some stuff go. He let the players decide things. And there's lots of audio you can find on YouTube of Paul Stewart coming into a situation like that. Maybe a smaller scrum. It might be one or two guys just kind of pushing and shoving at the side of the net after a whistle. But he'll tell them, you want to do this? You're going to go. If you're not going to go, then you're going to stop this. And I'm going to throw you over here. Like, just don't don't do this mamby-pamby stuff. Get it over with. Don't do this little hack slash push shove headlock face wash. Either fight or stop. Because next time I'm I'm sending you for two minutes. I think that's what's really just happening. Everybody's a tough guy in these scrums. Everybody is a tough guy. And whether the refs see it or not, the other players sure as hell see it. And if I know that Dan Mahar is going to see me do my favorite thing right in the back of the leg on the calf where there's no padding and give a little chop chop, then Dan Mahar is going to come after me on the next shift and make me answer for that. I think it goes some ways to getting this little problem out of the game. So I'll take my knuckles off the ground now and take my lumps. If you want to deliver them, OHL podcast at rogers.com. But I think that's part of the problem here. You're, well, you're definitely not wrong, Mike. And this is why so many hockey observers are on the fence on this one. They're torn because you don't want to be the Neanderthal that says, you know, I want teenage boys to be punching each other in the head and risking concussions and everything that goes with that and turning it into a sideshow for all the kids in the audience. And you don't want that. But on the other side, you say, but then you get the unintended consequences of going too far the other way where you're like you just said, everyone's a tough guy. And you've got this um, sneaky stuff that happens in, in these scrums when people think they can get away with it, which partly led to my earlier point. So so that's why you get a lot of fence sitting. If only you could find some sort of balance where where players are held accountable. And I, that's why I, I like the video review piece. It's maybe only a piece of it, but it's just trying to address that stuff where you come down hard on those guys that are are being the tough guys and are throwing the you know the headshot when no one's looking and and doing those things that that incite that stuff. But uh, there's no real perfect answer. If you want to remove all that stuff from the game, there are some consequences. I want to say that we've just lost respect for the opponent in the game, but boy, oh boy, if you think back on some of those stories, particularly those told by Gordy Howe, among others from back in the day, not that there wasn't respect, but boy, oh boy. I mean, well, you could determine if this is a lack of respect or not, but there were instances where they were literally trying to knock the other person out of the game. Like they were trying to hurt you because you were in their way of winning or you were in their way of getting that puck in the corner. So I'm not going to go down that path. I would love to see it end too, but I think the way to make it end is to, to put the threat, the consequence back into the game for doing that stuff. No, definitely. I mean, the word we I always use is accountability and yeah. whatever that looks like, whether it's accountability from the officials, from the coaches, from other players on the other team, you you can set it up however you want to do it, but without accountability, things go off the rails. And that's true basically anything in life. Speaking of the way things look, your eagle eye picked up something that had I glossed right over. So you're telling me that when I get drafted into the Ontario Hockey League, I no longer sign a standard player agreement? Yes, yeah, this was a minor subtle uh tweak i suppose we'll call it a tweak but uh the language as you uh as you noted so the ohl is clearly trying to put an emphasis on the scholarship piece here a scholarship in development agreement is is now what the the player sign is supposed to a standard player agreement standard player agreement very traditional contract language when you you sign for a team 
but now a scholarship and development agreement. So they're emphasizing both the hockey development and the educational side, the scholarship piece of it, which has always been underplayed in the OHL. I think it's a hockey league first and foremost, and the education's kind of this, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's on the side. Yeah, you go to school, sure. No, we're mm-hmm. talking, you can get some legit education here, probably on par with anything you're going to do in the States, which because you're tied to a school there, it was always seen as the more uh, education-focused option. The OHL is clearly trying to compete on that level by changing the language there and saying, no, when you sign into our league, you automatically agree to accept a scholarship, which, you know, every year you play in a league, you get a year at a Canadian university or a registered college as well. So uh, there, I think there's just a little subtle, we'll call it PR tweak, Mike. Is that the right frame? Uh, it's probably not the worst frame for it as a PR tweak. I don't think there's any question that this is a, shot across the bow of the NCAA, or if not a shot across the bow, just positioning the Ontario Hockey League, as you point out, as a league where you also get scholarship dollars to attend a post-secondary institution when you're done playing. I can't help but wonder as well if this might not be another way of keeping on the back burner, and I might be putting this back on the back burner by even bringing it up now, because I can't remember the last time I heard about it. It's probably been a couple of seasons, but does this keep well into the background, the idea that this league needs to be unionized because of the labor you're getting from these players and they're not being compensated. And when this argument came up and there was some talk in the league about forming a player's union and having players get paid, what you just talked about, particularly with scholarships, was the first thing I brought up. Like, I get it. There are, and I see it firsthand. I put in a lot of those same hours without the practicing, right? But there are a lot of hours demanded of a player. And yeah, they get their basic stipend every week, always get a little bit more, but that's apparently it. Oh yeah, unless you don't count the tens of thousands of dollars they can get to attend a post-secondary institution upon completion of their playing career. And all of a sudden, you've got a wage, if you will, or a salary that's paid. So again, by calling it a scholarship and development agreement, maybe, just maybe, that keeps those conversations further in the background too. Yeah, well, it's an excellent point, Mike, you make when you tie it to the union uh discussion that that has come up a couple times and i'm not saying by any stretch that there weren't some valid concerns from from agents and family advisors around that having said that we all know the games that get played in this competitive world that is hockey at this level and a lot of those fears were being stoked by ncaa interests and and other leagues that were competing to to frame the ohl as oh, the the teams take advantage of the labor of these players because they get a lot from them driving the gate revenue and whatnot, but they don't get much out of it because they're not paid just this weekly stipend. Well, it's a little silly when you think about it because the NCAA schools make oodles of money off the back of athletes that are in a lot of sports are not paid extremely well. Um, So it's a little bit of pot calling the kettle black. And I think the OHL just took an opportunity here and just said, well, wait a minute, we... (laughs) we don't abuse these players they get plenty out of it and this is just one subtle way where they can emphasize what the players do get out of their experience in this league all right if you're watching on youtube i apologize for not appearing as though i was paying as much attention to dan as i should be i was looking down at my phone because i forgot to check in advance i wanted to make sure i got the name of the person who submitted the question 
correct, which we will get to in a moment. And also, oh, Jim coming through with something else I should have remembered on the last episode of the OHL podcast. So we'll get to those questions and more, including still, of course, the Niagara Ice Dogs yet again. A former coach in the OHL comes back to the coaching ranks, but this time in the American Hockey League. And which player is it that Dan and I think might be poised for a big year in the O. We've still got all of that to come on this week's episode of the OHL podcast, so stay with us. Okay, before I get to the question from Pickleballer. I can't believe I had to go and look that. I don't know who Pickleballer really is, but uh, Jim, my buddy Jim Parcells points out on uh, our YouTube comments, the earliest first rounder to not report. We were talking about that last week with Eric Lindros. Jim Fox, a former guest on this podcast, works of course now with the Los Angeles Kings broadcast team where he played in the National Hockey League, was drafted by Windsor, didn't report, ended up in Ottawa instead. And Jim told the great story on this podcast about playing a game where he had to compete in a shootout in in his first game in Windsor after snubbing the city and the team and not reporting. And he said, like, the boos that were raining down on this guy, what a situation to end up being put in in your first game in the city where you snubbed to go play in Ottawa. Thanks to Jim for that, reminding us of Jim Fox back in 76-77. To the question from Pickleballer, Dan, uh, I'm just wondering, what does Windsor do with Shane Wright? I'll let you take first crack at that one, Dansky. Yeah, I think I think the drama is ramping up maybe a bit prematurely here because it's all based on the presumption he does not make the Seattle Kraken, which is fair. It's Quite likely he does not this year. But uh, interestingly enough, the rumblings I've been hearing, and I think uh, Elliot Friedman actually may have been the first to kind of suggest this, is that hearing that there's actually already agreements between the CHL and the NHL that were that to happen, that his his best option is not to come back to the OHL for another year, and they would allow him to go to the AHL. And I know that some of our, our commenters on the YouTube channel and a few people have pointed out, well, isn't this precedent setting which could really be negative for the ohl uh possibly possibly it is but i look at it from a slightly different angle and say it's also a positive for recruitment and whatnot that you know in these special circumstances that the league is actually reasonable and does have the player's best interests in mind and if they're saying you know we agree with you you know it it makes more sense for him to continue his career in the hl at 19 years old um given how much experience he already has in this league that that's kind of a reasonable approach to take for the league. So, and, and when you work with the feeder league or the NHL and, and these, and these agreements, it actually it can only help you down the line. I think the best interest of the player is what's most important here. So anyway, to make a long story short, the rumblings I'm hearing is that it's Seattle or the HL likely for, for Shane Wright this year. Yeah. And I'm also hearing that Ron Francis has made the appeal to ask for the exception in that standard CHL NHL agreement. But I think your point on precedent is the best one here, Dan. And I do worry about it just a little bit because once you open the door a crack, you know, we kind of talked about this last week when we were talking about coaches, you give them 
one little loophole or general managers too. They'll find a way to exploit it. They're always looking for the next possible advantage to help them win. So I, I worry a little bit about that. The other thing I will say is this reminds me a little bit of the conversations we have around whether or not a player should be taken up to the NHL at 18 or sent back to junior for another year, if that's possible, you know, if, depending on uh, where they signed and all this stuff. And you know what? I land on this and, and somebody else, it was probably Terry Doyle again, that said it and I really agreed with it. And that is, I, I get that you might be deemed too good for the Ontario Hockey League, but has any player really been hurt by coming back to dominate again? Whereas on the other side of that, has any player's progress really been stunted by going up too soon? And I think the latter is absolutely yes, and the former is absolutely not. Mike, that's one where I a million percent agree with you. I I would love for anyone to show me the example where a player was really held back by playing an extra year of junior. And I could list dozens of examples of guys whose careers were probably pretty negatively impacted by playing up early. Uh, the HL is a tough league. It's not really a league in the, the NHL, of course, not really leagues for 18 and 19 year olds. You really have to be exceptional to make it at that age. And even if you do make it, making it's one thing, actually playing meaningful minutes and getting meaningful developments. Another thing you're at a pivotal age where you're trying to develop your offensive game and different instincts on the ice and having space and time to actually do those things so that you recognize them quicker when you're 21, 22 at those levels is, is really important. And, I, I'm with you big time there, Mike. I don't see any way it's a negative for a player to be in the OHL at 19. I just don't see it. All right. I don't want to piss all over pickleballers question or idea here. So can we play the what if game just for a second, Dan? Sure. Okay. So what if Shane Wright were to be returned to the Ontario Hockey League and the Windsor Spitfires? What then? Well, I can only assume that Niagara would try to trade for him and then, <laughs> then probably flip him to London the next day. That's that's my assumption. So. <laughs> not, not an unfair or unsafe assumption. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it opens up a ream of possibilities, though, right? Because we're, we're early in the season to be determining who's buyers and who's sellers. But uh, I can't imagine there's going to be as many buyers as there were last year. So the market for a Shane Wright might uh, might be hot, but might be amongst fewer teams this year. Okay, so I'm going to take that a step further and be a real dick here. Let's just say the market was even equal to last year in terms of buyers, sellers. Is Shane uh, is Shane Wright's value the same as it was a season ago when Windsor acquired him from Kingston? Because we all know that he was acquired to send the Spits on another deep run, and they were promptly swept in the first round of the OHL playoffs in an historic situation, by the way, when the eight seed for the first time ever swept the one seed, but it wasn't only Shane Wright who was under the microscope, but he was one of the big players on that Windsor team who were accused of maybe underperforming. So does that, I mean, there's no question that should he come back to the league, the Spitz deal him when, who knows, but they would trade him. But I'm just asking in very dick-like fashion what's the market for shane wright based on the returns that windsor got from him last year 
Yeah, and again, probably premature to, to answer that question because obviously his first month or two or however long he were to play in Windsor would be go a long way to determining what his price tag was. And we always expect more of 19-year-old players than 17 and 18-year-old players. So I would expect his impact this year in the O would be pretty pronounced. But you're absolutely right that his last two playoff stretches in the OHL probably didn't give a buyer as much confidence as they might have had earlier. So that would definitely be a wait and see. I'd imagine he'd still command command something obviously but uh but there would be hesitation i'm sure okay because we're in the preseason here we're gonna have some fun with some things that we would like to see in the league or some predictions we'll do our east west previews as we get much closer to that regular season opener just over two weeks from now but while we're talking about players dan i thought this would be a fun one pick the player right now midway through the preseason that you think is poised for a big year in the Ontario Hockey League. Yes, you can use this to chirp us all season long. Who do you like? All right, again, I'm going to preface this by saying I hope I'm not taking your guy, Mike. But uh, I had so many guys narrowing this down to one, and I'm not going to cheat. I'm going to keep it to one guy. But of the probably 20 guys I'm excited to see this year, i got to stick with the draft eligibles because it's such a good group. And I'm going with my boy Porter Martone. I am so excited to see what he's going to turn up in this year. Uh, Comfortable, hopefully, in his new surroundings in Mississauga after the late season trade. Just dynamic every time you see him. Another year under his belt, a little more muscle, a little more confidence and swagger. We'll be able to run the show to some extent in that that Steelheads lineup. So uh, just so much to like about this player's game. And, uh, I mean, he had stiff competition in this category, Mike, for other players that I think are, are going to have phenomenal years. But I'm going with Porter Marton. Man, that is an amazing choice. That's just – it's fantastic, Porter's dad. Mike, a previous guest on this podcast, what I love most, Dan, is that you stuck to the one guy. Because this was my stupid idea for a question. And then I realized – six, seven, eight guys later, I'm like, crap. And I was going to be a jerk and I'm going to, you have to stay with one. You can't give me honorable mention. So I'm going to do, I could do the same thing. I'm going to stick with that one guy. And even though the reason for this question was when I saw my boy, Nick Lardis show up on the score sheet, the preseason game, you know how hot I was on him last year as a draft eligible. I'm going to steer away from the draft eligibles though. And I'm, I'm not digging deep, Dan. I'm not G4. Well, go deeper than that because I'm picking a guy that went in the first round of the NHL draft, but here's why I'm picking Colby Barlow 18th overall to Winnipeg. There was all kinds of talk that top 10 talent, et cetera. We know that Colby Barlow played a portion of last season banged up. We also know that the Owen sound attack probably by their own admission underperformed a bit last season. I think things are coming together in the Bayshore and I think Colby Barlow is going to come into a healthy season, 79 points last season under his belt, but first rounder looking to show that he belongs in that conversation as a first rounder. He's going to be, we all know this already anyway, a future NHLer, but he is going to put his stamp on this league. 79 points, the hell with that. He's going over a hundred this year. And I think it's going to be Colby Barlow's Ontario Hockey League. So that's where I'm going. Yeah, also a terrific pick, Mike. You can't go wrong there. And you know, I feel he should have gone higher in the NHL draft. I don't really understand too much of what was holding him back. I heard various theories and had so many people say last year, well, the reason he looks so good is because he's 27. 
Well, that's a compliment to, to Colby because when you look 27 amongst 18 year olds, that means you're pretty darn good. Uh, and he was only 18. So yeah, I think a monster year uh, ahead for that guy. All right, let's get to it uh, for the second straight week. We have to look down St. Catherine's way and say, uh, okay, Ice Dogs. Okay, Bruce Boudreaux. Bruce, there it is, named as a senior advisor last week for the Ice Dogs. So uh, that NHL content joins Wayne Gretzky, already mentioned in this podcast, as a minority owner. Uh, But a week after Boudreaux's named, and by the way, the Ice Dogs... Uh, made a deal for Connor Federkow and uh, Mike Levin from London. Levin, by the way, the younger brother of David Levin, a former first overall to the Sudbury Wolves, one of their three first overalls they got in seven years after they won the lottery, if you'll remember. Anyway, Federkow and Mike Levin uh, from London to Niagara for a third and a fifth. And now the Ice Dogs look to London again for a trade. Remember, this is the same team, London that got Sam Dickinson out of Niagara last year. This time it's Ryan Humphrey, the OA along with Matthew Paris for Juan Copeland, a second and a third. So the ice dogs parting with a quality player and two high draft picks for an OA and no disrespect, Matthew Paris. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just where do you want to start? The sheer number of trades that the Ice Dogs make, or but just on the specifics of this one, I mean, some of these deals to me are just just a little puzzling. I think there's a lot of overage players available at this time of year, and then usually the prices are a little bit lower, and this is with no disrespect to Ryan Humphrey, but the price tag did seem pretty high uh, for the return here for Niagara, and you'd like to say, I hope they know what they're doing, but uh, but I'm not sure there's evidence to suggest that yet, so uh, where are they going to be this year? The, the ice dogs in that conference, I don't think they're a top contender this year. So it was, was Humphrey the best option. And if you're going to part with a second, third and young player, is that, I don't know. I just, let's just say, uh, paint me as a little bit perplexed on this one today. That's a very kind way of putting it. And I'm going to just echo that. I'm a wee bit perplexed right now. I said coming into this season on one of our pop-up summer episodes of this podcast, I'm buying in, Ice Dogs. I'm rooting for you. I have to wonder this. Look, I'm not going to assume that Double D, Darren Dadobler in Niagara, the owner and general manager, listens to this podcast. I'm not going to assume that for one second. I'm also going to assume that um, they, no, maybe maybe I shouldn't assume that he reads social media. I don't know. I, all I want to know is this, and I get it. I'm not a GM. Everybody loves to be a, a fantasy GM in, in this league or any other league that they follow. But somebody, somebody, Dan, has got to have Darren Dobler's ear here, doesn't, don't they? Like, just, is, is there a check and a balance anywhere in this organization? Just to say, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, writing a tweet and pausing before you hit send. Is this a good idea? Should I like, come on, like, honestly, this is me being perplexed, asking a question that might help me understand better. Nobody, nobody says, Hey, double D you sure about this one? I don't know. Well, he's got a high high profile special advisor now, Mike, and this trade still happened after this hiring. So maybe we should blame Bruce Boudreaux for this trade. I don't know. Bruce, 
it's on you, pal. Now you're on the clock here with Niagara. I, we'll see. But uh, color us perplexed on this one. Okay, one final note before we let you go on this episode of the OHL podcast. And that is that a former assistant and head coach in the Ontario Hockey League is back into the coaching ranks as an assistant in the American Hockey League, where he also once was an assistant, Chicago Wolves, Chris Dennis, relieved of his duties last year in the first year of a three-year deal with the Kitchener Rangers, finds himself back in the American Hockey League with the Belleville Senators, room made for Dennis after Ben Sexton, former assistant coach with the Baby Sens, if you will, and former Ottawa Senator, by the way, jumps up to the big club in Ottawa to join uh, DJ Smith's staff up there. So now we've got Chris Dennis back behind a bench as an assistant with the Belleville Senators. Yeah, very interesting, Mike. Uh, We know Chris Dennis is well-connected in Ontario hockey circles, so obviously had some connections to that organization and got right back on the horse. And you you love to see people get opportunities when they're they come along because you don't want anyone sitting on the sidelines too long and and i'll just i'll be honest chris dennis got beat up a bit here in kitchener last year by a lot a lot of people and uh, i'll admit all, to being one of them i did not like at all the way the kitchen rangers played last year and uh and was happy that there was a change here in the in the direction they were going so could have maybe uh used some time off to heal from some of those wounds but uh good on him for getting right back on it and Maybe the HL is the, is the fit for him. So so good on Chris for that. Chris Dennis was a guy that uh, came as a bit of a surprise with the head coaching announcement in Kitchener uh, a season and a bit ago. But a number of people that either reached out directly to me or I reached out to all had great things to say about this guy who spent the lion's share of his coaching career, let's be honest, as a video coach with the Toronto Maple Leafs. But Assistant in Barrie, assistant, as I said, in Chicago with former Kitchener Ranger Wendell Young as the GM over there with the Wolves, etc. Got uh, from his time with high school and and youth sports, came with some glowing recommendations. So while it didn't work out for Chris Dennis, obviously, as a head coach in the Ontario Hockey League, maybe the assistant coach is where he fits better and will give him the opportunity to develop as a head coach again sometime down the road because again video coach is one thing being behind a bench like he was in Barry yeah. is another I I'm thrilled for the guy he was a really nice guy really enjoyed conversations with him he had a lot to say strong intellect hey coach is going to coach and this guy's back in the league this time the American Hockey League good on him yeah yeah always great to see people get those opportunities sometimes the fit's just not right and it didn't work out in Kitchener but great to see uh, him back on the horse I gotta tell you Dan I could keep talking forever we'll put this episode to bed but i'm getting pumped for the season now a little over two weeks away and it's go time for real here this is starting to feel starting to feel pretty good well even though the weather's turning like this is always a great time of year because you know what's around the corner it's not snow it's hockey (laughs) dan mahar over there my name is mike farwell find dan on twitter at dan mahar you'll find me on twitter at farwell underscore OHL. Please uh, give us a like, give us a review, subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend, send an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Your next episode of the OHL podcast will be out on Friday.
do did will the story of people podcast is now available on the crier media network the first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories ready tara sloan from the san jose sharks undercurrent podcast at nbc sports Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.